Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of our Inclusive Aid podcast series. Today, we are going to talk about the importance of mentorship when it comes to establishing a sustainable DEI practice in the organization. Research indicates that to establish a successful workplace diversity program, creating more opportunities is important, especially for continued engagement. These engagement opportunities can come in many forms, one of which being mentorship. Today, we shall cover the topic of how important a mentorship practice is, especially when it is to establishing a good workplace diversity program. Today, let's welcome Anna McCardo-Clark, a lawyer and litigator by profession and diversity, equity, and inclusivity advocate and mentor as well. She shall be elaborating more on the importance of mentorship when it comes to DEI initiatives. Welcome, Anna. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Sure. So this brings me to the first question of our show. Like all achievers, we have a place to begin with. Tell us about your initial career days and what inspired you to take up law as a profession? So I actually come from a family of medical professionals. My mother was a nurse, my father was a physician, and uh, the expectation was that I was going to go into medicine. I, um, I actually graduated with a degree in biology. And while I was in law school, the 2000 national elections happened and I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with Bush versus Gore, where there was a big dispute over the election outcome and how election votes were being counted. And that began my interest in the legal field. And that's when I decided to take up some political science classes and decided to um, switch my path towards, uh, towards a legal career. Sure. In one of your interviews, you mentioned the challenge of fitting in during the first high school year in the States. Has that created an impact for you to drive towards taking an interest, especially when it comes to DEI initiatives? Absolutely. So just for some context, I grew up in the Philippines. I moved to the United States when I was 11 years old. And I went to a relatively small middle school and I actually skipped a grade. I started out in seventh grade and then ended up during the first month switching um, and being uh, promoted to eighth grade. And it was tough. I spoke English because my father spoke English um, to me growing up and because I lived in an area of the Philippines where we spoke uh, English frequently. But it was a tough transition because culturally there were still some very significant differences between the two countries. And also it, it's a tough age to try to assimilate with a group of students who already knew each other from years and years of having gone to the same school together. Uh, and so certainly that experience has helped me uh, sympathize and empathize with people who feel othered, people who feel like they don't belong. I mean, most kids and most of our youth already feel that way, but when you add additional layers, such as if somebody is LGBTQIA+, or if somebody is an immigrant, or somebody has a brown skin, or you know um, some other background that makes them different from 
what is usual in their environment, that can add an additional stress. And so I'm very, I try to be sensitive to that in all areas of my life, including my legal practice. And even personally, when I'm in social settings and I see people who seem to um, be out of place, I make, I try to make an effort to include them. Sure. So this brings me to the next question. How important is mentoring when it comes to retaining diverse talent and organizations? I think it's absolutely important. And I'm just speaking from my own experience uh, as somebody who is a partner now and I lead our data security and privacy team at Phillips Lytle, as well as our e-discovery and digital forensics team. I would not have become partner and I would not have become team leader, but for the people who mentored me and championed me. So there, that's another thing that I wanted to highlight during our discussion today is there are people who can mentor you, who will give you ideas on, on how to proceed with your career, how to manage tricky situations, who will listen to you. But then you should also have champions, people who will um, allow you to kind of um, be highlighted, who will push for your success, who will find ways to make sure that you are achieving the next level of success. And I've been fortunate to have that um, at my law firm and even at prior organizations that, that I've been in. Uh, and interestingly, my biggest champions, some of my biggest champions at my current firm are not immigrants, not um, you know, kind of the people that you would expect would have been my champion. You know, we have different political beliefs, we are we have different backgrounds, we look different. But at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones who stepped up and who really helped me. And I think it's important to also have allies who don't look like you, allies who are in positions of power, who make it their mission to help people who come before, who come after them. Sure. So can you tell us about some of the impacts mentoring can have on the career, especially both for the mentor and the mentee? Absolutely. So we actually just started a program at our law firm that is um, kind of, we're calling it uh, mentoring circle. So we have our traditional mentoring where associates are paired with partners. We also have um, peer mentoring where associates are paired with other associates. Usually senior associates are paired with more junior associates. And then we have this mentoring circle, which is really intended to allow for senior and newer attorneys to learn from each other. And we do that by finding activities and organizing activities that could be of mutual interest to those people. And our hope is that by allowing relationships to form on a more personal basis, people can also be more likely and more willing to be somebody's champion in other ways, to be somebody's mentor in their professional um, capacity. And so I think it's important to not just think of oneself as a mentor or a mentee. It's always important to, to think about what could you learn from others and how can you help others learn from your own experiences? That's really how I think of mentorship as opposed to a seniority issue. Sure, so it's a learning aspect both for the teacher and the student. Absolutely, and even I learn from the people that consider me their mentor. I learn about you know, how our cultural differences or our generational differences might impact the way we view, in my case, a legal matter 
or we might view the workplace or personal relationships. And that can really enrich not only um, my kind of professional um, insight into the legal matters I handle, but also it really enriches my personal life as well. These, these people are my friends, um, both my mentors and my mentees. Sure. So this brings me to the next question. How does mentoring help to develop cultural competency in an organization? That's a very good question. I think there is a very, we live in, in an environment that is fraught with a lot of tension. There are a lot of cultural clashes that are going on, whether that's, um, when I speak of culture, I, I mean, not just heritage or ancestry, but also in terms of you know, your political beliefs, in terms of your experience, in terms of whether you live in a rural or urban area. And people are also afraid to ask questions for fear that they would be canceled or um, seen negatively. And I think that being able to have a space where you can ask those questions comfortably, where people are not judged by simply asking those questions and instead they are applauded for making an effort is important um, in developing cultural competency because we can't blame people for not automatically knowing things that we know because they might have a different experience than we do. So for example, you know, I um, am of Filipino descent and I take every opportunity to talk about my culture and relate to my, my partners and my colleagues at the law firm on that level, even if they're not familiar with my culture, because I think it's it's important. It's not necessarily my job, and I don't think we should look to diverse individuals as having an obligation to educate everyone around them. I take that on voluntarily, and I think because of that, people I work with have a better understanding of who I am, where I come from, why I view things a certain way, and what I might perceive as offensive or acceptable. And without that mentoring relationship, I don't know that our relationships would have gotten to that level of comfort. Sure, so this brings me then to the next question. Has there been a larger emphasis on mentorship since the pandemic, especially when it comes with the lesser human interaction and with employees feeling the effect of issues such as lack of support or the impact of microaggressions? I certainly think so. You know, it's interesting because in the legal profession, we have an ethical obligation to include mentorship as part of our um, obligation to supervise people who work with us, including staff and other attorneys and vendors as well. And so there, there's certainly a, an emphasis on uh, building connections, which is, has become harder because of the pandemic, because not everyone is coming into the office. And so a lot of your interactions are very transactional. You pick up the phone when you have a very specific ask. You have to set up meetings on Zoom or some other platform because you have a particular topic to discuss. Unlike before the pandemic, when you might run into somebody in the corridor or might run into somebody in the break room or at lunch and you would pick up a conversation naturally. So we have to do our part. And, and I think a lot of us are feeling this way um, to kind of reach out and make sure you have that human connection and that personal connection with the people that you work with. And everyone is fatigued. Everyone is exhausted, both physically and emotionally. 
And um, so I think that's also exacerbating this, um, you know, this feeling that we should try to enhance our mentoring programs as well. And, you know, when you talk about lack of support and microaggression, I think that's tough too, because the people that you look to for support are also under the same stresses, are also um, struggling themselves with the pandemic, uh, depending on what their family and their own personal situation is. And so there might be an increased sensitivity as well to a feeling that there is a lack of support or feeling that something that somebody else has done is a microaggression. I'm not saying those feelings are unfounded or inappropriate. I, I'm just saying it's difficult all around to manage those, especially when you don't have face-to-face -face interactions. Sure, and perhaps I think even uh, post-pandemic or with the hybrid workplace coming into vogue right now, I think uh, it's still going to continue the emphasis of mentorship, especially when people have to get back to work or they again are making a switch as well. Absolutely. What I am finding is that in because we cannot rely on these, you know, accidental or routine. Um, opportunities to see each other and to interact, there is a mindfulness that was not necessarily there all the time before the pandemic in terms of going, you know, making a concerted effort to um, gather everyone together and make these interactions count and make them as meaningful as you can make them. And so that's, there is that silver lining despite the, um, you know, the stresses of the pandemic. Sure. So perhaps you're going to see a larger emphasis of it post-pandemic as well for at least the next couple of years. That's what I would expect. Sure. So how can organizations work towards creating a sustainable mentorship program? I can't say I have all the answers. It's a question that I know I struggle with in the organizations that I'm a part of. And we've tried a few different things. Um, you know, obviously having a structured program is always good, right? You have built-in check-ins, you lay out your expectations with respect to what the mentorship looks like, how often the mentors should get together, recommending activities and topics for discussion is another one. So I think it's important for people to realize or organizations to realize just because you've set up a mentor with a mentee, your involvement should not end there because if it does, and you leave it solely to the discretion of two people who might not know each other very well, your mentorship program might not last very long. Um, the other thing that we were thinking about in launching our mentoring circle program is you can't also force personal relationships and connections to happen. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It doesn't mean that the people are for, for whom it does not work out are terrible people. It just means that perhaps there's a better personality fit or um, perhaps um, there are other ways that we should try to build these relationships more organically. And so that's what we're trying to do. But I think at the end of the day, listening to the participants in the mentorship program is an important component. What are they looking for to get out of the mentorship program? What can they offer the program? And what are their recommendations? What do they want to see? Because people would have more buy-in if they're actively engaged in designing the program than if they're just being told what to do. And is it possible for a mentee to have more than one mentor at times, especially when it comes to different aspects of work? 
That's a very good question. And that's absolutely, I, I think that, I mean, I go to different people for different issues. And so I think that's a really good way of looking at mentorship. And when we talk about mentoring circle, we call it a circle in part because we expect the more senior people to learn from the more junior people and not just the other way around. But on top of that, we also expect the relationships to not just necessarily be one-on-one, -on -one, but rather for our mentees and our mentors to develop these relationships with more people at the law firm than they otherwise might if we just had the one-to-one -one mentoring program. Sure. Um, with a rise in demand to learn newer skills at a quicker pace nowadays, uh, what can organizations do when it comes to seasoned employees, especially for the mentorship programs? That's a very good question. And I myself am, am in a space that uh, shifts and evolves very quickly. I'm in data security and privacy and e-discovery and digital forensics, and that's always a challenge. And so for me as a mentor, I try to find opportunities for my mentees to learn, whether that's by co-presenting with them, by uh, co-writing an article with them, or by suggesting programs that might not be that useful to me because I might be more advanced in my knowledge of a particular practice area, but I think it might be good for them. You know, I make sure that to go out of my way and try to find those programs with them. Because the thing is, if you are new to an area of, uh, to a skill set or new to an area of law for my practice, you won't know what you don't know. So they might not even know what resources to go to. And so I think, you know, for organizations, um, they should be sensitive to what struggles their employees are facing when it comes to trying to learn the skills and then try to address those issues. And again, working together with those employees um, can make this effort much more effective. Sure. And what can organizations do towards making more diverse mentoring programs? Because sometimes they have mentors who fit a certain bill, but you don't find a diverse set of mentors. Yeah, that's a tricky one, right? Because the other side of this coin, and I've heard this, I also am an adjunct professor of law at Fordham, and I've heard this from some of my diverse students. They also don't want to feel like they are responsible for being the diversity representative in many of these settings, right? They want to be treated the same as other people and they don't want to carry on that, that burden. So I think, you know, when we think about diversity, we should expand our thinking about that as well. What does that mean? And diversity can take many, um, many faces, right? It could mean you encountered um, economic adversity or health issue, or you have some, some other challenge that you encountered as you were rising up through the ranks. And so I think by doing that and finding ways for, for us to connect people to each other based on their needs, based on their experiences, that might be a good way of um, encouraging diversity within the mentoring program. Another good way is to build in diverse um, diversity in the program. So what do I mean by that? For example, for our mentoring circle, we encourage um, those who plan activities for the mentoring circle program to do things like, you know, a food crawl featuring a particular cuisine or featuring a particular area of the neighborhood or, you know, taking a piece of, uh, of their own personal history and sharing that with others that are gonna be part of that activity. 
to the extent that they're comfortable. So kind of just encouraging people to um, really connect and, and share their own experience can lead to, to diversity. And then of course, reaching out to um, mentors who you think would be make a good fit for these mentoring programs uh, is also good. Some people I know don't volunteer because they don't see themselves as me mentor material or they don't think they have anything to offer or they don't think the mentoring program needs anyone else because there's so many people already, um, already involved. And so making them feel like part of the process and important and talking to them about some particular issues that you're trying to address might be another way to entice them to join. Sure. Uh, what advice do you have for startups and newer organizational teams when it comes to mentoring practices? You know, it's interesting because I tend to think that startups might actually have an advantage over some more established organizations because they tend to be to kind of challenge the status quo and think uh, differently about the world. And so I think what I would say is, and my recommendation would be to apply that kind of thinking that they're using for their business to diversity and mentoring and to make that a marquee portion of their kind of business culture. Because if they do that, then I am confident that the creativity and all of these great things that have led them to um, begin their startups or establish their organization could trickle through to these mentoring practices. And then the other thing is, you know, don't assume that you know everything and don't assume that you know what's right and what might be right for one organization might not be right for yours and your team. So again, listening and, and giving space to people to talk about what they're looking for can be very important. And talking to people outside of your organization about what they're doing and what's proven to be successful for them might also be a fruitful endeavor. Sure. So now let's come to the lighter aspect of our podcast. Uh, could you tell any three books or films which have created an impact on your life and you feel are actually a good watch or read for our audience? This is probably the toughest question you're going to ask me today. Um, Blindness by Jose Saramago is a really, really good book. It was turned into a play and a movie, but I think the book, because of the subject matter, is really effective. It, it kind of, um, it's set in this post-apocalyptic kind of world where people go blind one by one, and it explores what people do. Are people innately good? Are people innately bad? What, how do you act when you know no one can see you? And um, I think these are themes, you know, when you are, for us, for many of us who went to school in the United States or took English literature in high school, you might be familiar with the books, Lord of the Flies and Catcher in the Rye. The blindness deals and tackles the same issues in those books, you know, again, are, you, are people born good? Are people born bad? Are we a product of our environment, et cetera? And then another one, my second choice, um, has to be Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I'm a big, big fan of classic movies. This is a black and white movie. And it's about this um, you know, man who goes to Washington to advocate for a particular issue. And, and it shows kind of the power of even one person to make a difference. And also um, kind of provides an insight into the American 
kind of government system, which I did, was not as familiar with when I first moved here. So I thought that was a really good book, uh, excuse me, a good movie um, also. And then the last one is Memento. This is a book from the early 2000s, which I consider to be kind of my coming of age time in the United States. And it's a book about a man who doesn't have any short-term memory. And so he leaves, uh, he leaves kind of clues for himself to try to piece together what happened and you know, kind of what his history is. And I think it's just such a well-done film, but also the subject matter um, was also very interesting. It kept you kind of engaged the entire time. Sure, so this brings me to the next question. What is your mantra on life? This is gonna sound really, um, I, I hope it doesn't sound too boring or too pithy, but really, you know, I'm also was raised as a Catholic. Um, the Philippines is the largest kind of Roman Catholic, predominantly Roman Catholic country in Asia. And, um, you know, I was always told, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And I just find that that, that really, if you live your life that way, if you think about issues and, you know, socioeconomic or social issues in that way, I find that at the end of the day, you tend to end up with the right result. And that is, you know, I don't want to do anything that would hinder another person's rights. I try not to hurt somebody else's feelings or do harm to other people. Um, and at the same time, I have my own conviction. I have a, you know, my own moral compass that I follow. I'm not perfect, I make mistakes, but I'm sense, I try to be sensitive to circumstances where, you know, I would not want somebody doing something to me. And if that's the case, then I shouldn't do that either. And it can be something small. You know, it can, it can, it can be as small as opening the door for somebody who's walking in behind you or, you know, um, not shouting at somebody no matter how frustrated you are, which I, I struggled with, admittedly, especially when I was younger and, and when I'm in high stress situations, I, I'm not um, not anymore as much as I was when I was young, but I'm a work in progress. And so, um, you know, trying to be mindful of that is, is something that I try to live by. That's really amazing to admit because a lot of us, we don't try to admit that we're imperfect. And yet you're trying to tell our audience that we need to admit what our faults are. We need to understand what the other person is thinking, put them in our, put ourselves in their shoes and then see how we would want to be treated. That's actually an amazing philosophy in life and perhaps one of the most basic and crucial aspects also. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about mentoring and that's something I strive to do in my own mentoring relationships. I try to encourage the people, you know, I mentioned earlier, these are my friends. I try to encourage them to be open with me, right? I want people to let me know if I've done something that I might not have realized, right, is offensive or or they didn't like it for some reason. And let's have a discussion about it. I think that's what's missing now in our um, kind of modern society. We're not as open and we're not as willing to listen. And so even if I disagree with somebody, I will try to give them the space to express that disagreement um, so that we can have kind of a respectful, mutually beneficial relationship. 
Sure. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience today? You know, because our topic is mentoring, one thing I will say is that people shouldn't give up if they feel, you know, I can't find a mentor or I don't want to mentor this person. You know, that can be tough, but keep trying and you'll find people that you were that you will fit with. And when you try to establish these mentoring relationships, don't think that all it takes is one conversation. It's very much an ongoing process and it might feel alien. It might be uncomfortable in the beginning, but it's all worth it in the end. And so you should keep at it and be very mindful about who you're going to ask to establish a relationship with you and how do you make that ask and how can you you know, and think about how can you help others, right? So when people think about mentoring, they think of it as a one-way street. And I have one of my mentors, actually, Ken Manning, one of the partners at our, our firm, taught me something um, really that I've kind of taken with me uh, and I try to embody in my own life. And he said, you know, Anna, you should try to just figure out how you can help others. And, and this is in response to a question I asked him about, how do I establish a book of business, which can be important if you are a lawyer at a law firm? And he said, don't think about it in those terms. Just think about how you can help people and how you can help your friends. And that will come. And, and, you, and you should try to help them, even if it means, you know, they're not going to hire you as, a, as their lawyer or there's nothing in it for you because the reward is the assistance that you give them in and of itself. Which is true. I think we should actually think about doing the work or task rather than thinking about the reward or the award in the ascents. Because when we do our work and when we take passion towards helping others, it actually is more fulfilling. That's the biggest reward in itself. Absolutely. Sure. So thanks a lot, Anna, for coming on our show today. Uh, we hope to have you for many more episodes and perhaps not just uh, a one-on-one -on -one interview or session, but also in some group sessions as well. Thanks a lot for joining our show. And we hope our audience, uh, you would want to know more about mentorship and we would also have a series of articles also based on it. Thank you. Thank you very much.